Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, another week gone by, lots of negotiations, leagues getting ready to plan to come back. We've got a loaded show, Tommy Smith at 405. Uh, A.J. Schnock, uh, director of the 30 for 30 with McGuire and Sosa at about 425. Your own Weitzman from Bleacher Report at 440 talking NBA. We got a loaded show. What's going on, man? Uh, well, I'm still trying to figure out whether or not we're going to have baseball. Well, you, well, have other, your, you other, always have your yeah. Korean League. Right, yeah, other than the KBS. And you're, uh, you showed me a picture, your Aaron Altair legit Korean baseball organization jersey with his name in Korean is on its way to you. So you're doing well there. Um, You and I have disagreed about whether we will have baseball. There is a new proposal from the owners back. It seems like we're coming that there would be a 70 to 75 game season. The proposal would include a payment of somewhere between 88 and 85% of the player's salary, Mm -hmm. expanded playoffs, you think anybody's uh, going to budge with this deal? No. All right, yeah, I mean, thanks. We're, we're, Way to be happy. Glad we did the show. No, Mike, you wrote the closing we, music. Jeff well, brought God, everything I've to the table. Long, <laughs> been around long enough to see what's going on. And you, you said to me before we went on air that that you can't see the owners doing this. And I said, I can. And you no, said, no, I didn't say I can't. I said, I can't see baseball being so naive to lose another season. But they can't, under the different proposals, if you believe the owners at all, they can't afford to play baseball. That's the problem. Do you believe the owners? Do you believe the the crying poor baseball isn't profitable? I I believe some of the owners. Because I, I can't think of another sport where there are so many owners who should not be owners. So everybody in the NFL is ridiculously wealthy. Everyone in the NBA is ridiculously wealthy or their their ownership groups or their companies or things like that. For the most part, it's the same thing with the NHL. For Major League Baseball, there are a bunch of owners that should not be owners. They are wealthy. Don't get me wrong. But they're not wealthy enough to be able to sustain these problems. So if you look at the owner of like the Oakland A's, that guy shouldn't be an owner. The guy who owns the Marlins shouldn't be an owner. There are a bunch of them that should not be be owners because they aren't able to handle this. They're not financially, they're not able to handle this. And if you need another example of why they can't handle this, why do you think they made the the MLB draft, which has been going on for the last couple of days, from 40 rounds to five rounds? Do you know what the real reason was? And don't tell me it's because they talent, because they couldn't evaluate. No, it's, it's money. They don't yeah. want to have to pay more players because they don't want they've already decimated the minor leagues. Now, granted, a lot of that is because of the pandemic, but they were planning that decimation beforehand. Remember, we had the mayor of Chattanooga who was who had a, a, all the mayors that were sitting there doing that. The owners weren't able to handle some of the financial responsibilities that they had in this sport. And so oh. they, they've been taking it out on all these different avenues to the point that they're now going to once again cut off the nose to spite their face, and they'll probably lose less money by not playing the sport that their business is in. 
I still think the commissioner imposes a 48 game season when these fools can't agree on something. Right. But, but instead, instead of talking about a sport we're not sure is actually going to come back, why don't we talk about a sport that actually has in its title that it's coming back? I am all for that. Tommy Smith, how excited are you to have MLS returning to the field? Uh, Tommy, we don't have it just yet. He's so excited that he can't put it into words. We'll get him up in one second. We'll figure out what's going on. Um, if you hear my son crying in the background, this is the joys of doing a show live from home. Well, well I assume that was because that he you must he must have heard us say that baseball's not coming back. No, I think he yeah, fell I, down. I Tommy, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. Hey, I'm Tommy, here. thanks so much for giving us the time and joining us. Uh, we hope you're holding up well through all this. How's everything going? Oh, everything's going fine. I mean, I have done. I've been lucky enough that I've been able to do my show on Sirius every day because I was doing it from home. I mean, it was a little difficult to get content when there was no games being played, but uh, the show was on every day, and uh, we go back to three hours on Monday. I'll grumpy pundit. How excited are you for the return of MLS soccer? Well, it's great that it's coming back. It's great. I mean, plus the fact that uh, not alone MLS. I mean, you have the Premier League back next week. Next week, you have La Liga back next week as well. So, I mean, and and uh, Serie A is coming back as well. So it looks like the world is starting to get to some kind of a normality. I'm not sure what the normality is going to be, guys, because MLS is coming back with a tournament in Florida. They're going to play all the games in Orlando. Uh, there won't be any in Philadelphia for a while, I'd imagine. So, Tommy, with regard to the, the Premier League, there are actually teams that they don't have fans there, but for 25 bucks, you can get your face stapled on something with your with a picture of you on your jersey. Is that satisfactory to you? Well, I sent him the picture and he said, with that face, they'll need more than 25 bucks. So I said, no, I'm not giving you 50. They wanted double the price for me to go on to one of those jerseys. But it's a novel idea. I mean, I've been doing it in Germany. It was very funny uh, about two weeks ago. There was a game in Germany, and the guy was taking a shot on goal, and there behind the goal was a picture of him at the same time. So he was on the field, and he was in the stands at the same time. <laughs> That's fantastic. What uh, do you expect the experience to be like for you? I would assume that you'll have to call games from the studio. You've obviously done that before with your international soccer but for our listeners who aren't familiar how different of an experience is this going to be for you oh it's completely different i mean when you're in the when you're in a, in a stadium with a crowd you kind of sit on top of the crowd and i don't mean that you know that the, the press box is on top of the crowd all right but you basically sit on top of the crowd noise and as the crowd noise goes up and down you kind of ride the wave where if you're in a studio you got to provide all the energy yourself and you got to provide all the excitement and, and you got to provide everything that's there because it, it's very difficult. But you get used to it. I mean, uh, half a loaf is, no be is better than no bread, my mom always said, and that's certainly the same here. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a problem when you're doing games. I mean, I've done them many times before when teams were uh, being punished for doing something uh, that there was no fans allowed. Uh, it's not a great experience when there's no fans in the stadium. And I mean, it, that, that it kind of tells you exactly what the experience is like, because the only time there are no fans in the stadium before this happened was when a team would do something, you know, they broke some of the rules or something, and they'd be forced to play behind closed doors for two games or three games or something, so as that they wouldn't get a revenue from the game. So, I mean, 
you can judge for yourself that it's not a great experience, but it's better than nothing at all. Look, we're just happy that soccer is coming back. But to what you said, with no fans there, I mean, look, we're used to going down to to the Philadelphia Union games, seeing the Sons of Ben standing the entire game, banging drums, cheering people on. Uh, You can, from talking to the players, it impacts their play in a positive way. Will it impact the play of players to have nobody there cheering them on? Yeah, well, you know, that's always a big question. I mean, when you don't have the support of the group like the Sons of Ben, and I mean, they are fantastic. They are a fantastic group at the back of the bowl there in the Philadelphia games. Um, you know, but players tell you, I've asked several players about it, and they say, well, it's, it's back to a kind of playing what you were when you were 17 or 18, when you were playing with either B teams or reserve teams, and you played in front of 100 or 200 people. I mean, for the viewer, I think it's, it's more difficult for the viewer. But one thing that they have discovered, and if you looked at the, the results in Germany, uh, the home teams don't win very many games. I mean, I think they've won 22% of all the games played so far in the Bundesliga. So there is really no home field advantage now when you're playing a game that there's not... Well, there wouldn't be in Florida anyhow because, I mean, MLS is going to play it in, in, uh, in Disney's wide world of sport. The only good thing about, you know, when you look at it from, from a Philadelphia point of view is Philadelphia has done very well in the U.S. Open Cup. And this is the kind of... I would put this on a parallel with the U.S. Open Cup, you know. They never won it, but they got very close. A couple of times they got very, very close to winning it. And we thought they were going to win it two years ago, and they just didn't. But, you know, this is kind of going to be the same experience. You're playing in a tournament. Uh, there's going to be group stages, and then there's going to be knockout stages, and then, of course, the final. And there is a trophy for it. So, I mean, they will be playing, they will be playing to win, plus first couple of games uh, do, uh, you know, go up in the standings for the regular season, when the regular season starts. With the draw that they have done now, Jim Curtin's the only manager in Group A that was actually with their club last year. Can you talk about how the continuity of the union uh, may impact how they face some of the other teams and what you expect going in to see from the team? Well, you know, you have a team like you have a team like uh, Nashville coming in to play in Nashville, and that, you know that's going to be it's going to be a tough ask for them. Um, although I suppose you know I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth at the one time because if you're saying well, if they had played at home, there would have been a huge crowd and there would have a home field advantage. They're not playing at home, so there's no home field advantage for either the Union or for them. But uh, Jim Curtin has put together a good team. He, has, he knows exactly what everybody's capable of. Uh, there won't be need, any need for any kind of experiments or anything else. Uh, I mean, and he, he'll have a fair good idea of what he's up against. So I think that the union should do very well in Florida because, I mean, it's a pretty good side. It has good experience. And as you said, it has that continuity of playing together. And that's key. I mean, it's, it's so good to know exactly, hey, where your, uh, where your teammate is going to make the run where they're going to find themselves open, where you have to make the run to when they get the ball because they know where you're going to be so that they're the ball to you. So it is a huge advantage for a team that has played together for a while. With regard to the guys that are on this team and the new guys that they've they've added to the roster, who's the guy that we didn't expect? We know about Casper. We know about Bedoya. Who's the guy from this group on the union you, that you expect to, to be the guy who breaks out this year? 
Well, I mean, the, the guy that, you know, was missing last year was Kai Wagner. I mean, Kai Wagner really had a breakout year, and then he had a, a, an injury, and, uh, you know, that, that really stifled his growth. I mean, I think he has the makings of being a great player. And I mean, as you said, we know that Casper's can score goals, and we know that the Dai is going to lead the team, and we know what El Senio can do when he comes on. But, the, you know, Kai Wagner has proved to be a very, very good player as a left fullback, and he goes up and down that wing as good as anybody. And uh, he just, uh, you know, if he can get his crossing in sync with everybody else coming up the field, I think he might have a great year. What are you expecting out of Brendan Aronson this year? Well, Brandon has to progress. He needs to push up another step now. Um, if, if anything, last year, Brandon, uh, he had one disadvantage, and that was that he's not the biggest player on the field, and he didn't seem to get any of the breaks from referees last year. And, you know, when you get a young player coming into the league and you're playing up against uh, older, experienced players, they knock lumps out of you. Every chance to get they knock lumps out of you. And if the referee doesn't protect you, you're going to be in real trouble. And you can see that with Brendan Aronson last year. I mean, as soon as he got the ball, there were guys had an X mark on his back. I mean, he looks like he is a brilliant, brilliant talent. You know, hopefully he has put on a few pounds over the, the winter and uh, hopefully he'd be a little bit heavier and he'd be fit to throw his weight around. I mean, okay, people have said, yeah, by the time he's a bit on weight, he's not going to have the speed. But, you know, it's a very, it's a very fine line. You know, you've got to have the speed but you've got, to have, uh, you've got to be fit to take the tackles as well. And I think that Brandon could have a big year as well. If, if, if he progresses like he did last year, when you take into consideration, I mean, this is his first year last year, I mean, he had a great year. Uh, it, it's a very big, big step up when you come from playing reserve or you come from playing any other league, even stepping up. When you step up in, into MLS, it's a very, very big, it's a major step. And to be fit to make that major step, you have to have a lot of talent. And in my opinion, he made the major step. And he just needs to settle down and prove that he can shoot in this league. Uh, that, that was the other thing, you know. He, he doesn't need to, uh, Brendan last year, I suppose, because he is a young player and it was his first year around. I mean, he got a little excited at times. I mean, he just needs to settle down just a tiny bit. And uh, he is the makings of, he is the makings of a great career. It seems like they're going to be packing a lot of games in each day, uh, sort of a 7 a.m. game, 7 p.m., 10 p.m. Uh, how concerned are you? It seems like they are about the heat there in Orlando and the fitness of the players with how much they're going to be playing in a short period of time. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. I mean, the, the first game is going to be at 9 a.m. Uh, the first, uh, that'll be the first game. They're going to play three a day, and they will be 9 a.m. And uh, the Union are guaranteed uh, three games anyhow. Uh, so I don't think, you know, at this stage, that if you are, you know, pushing yourself uh, in a couple of days, you should be okay. I mean, you should be okay. They haven't played many games, but keep in mind that everybody is in the same situation. It's not like, you know, that you're bringing players back from injury or something like that. It's that everybody is coming back. Everybody is facing the same thing. So everybody basically has the same, uh, you know, they have the same lookout on the games and they have the same... I mean, there'll be a little bit of a fitness level difference between some players because some players get fit quicker than others. I mean, where you would be expecting that just when this tournament would be finishing, that's when some of the players will be just really starting to feel that they're in good shape. But hopefully the, the season will then pick up 
and that there will be games in the local that there will be games in the local market that will play some games in Philadelphia after. I mean, nobody has decided yet what the season is going to look like. We have no idea what the season looks like. I'm talking about picking the season up. I mean, all we know is that the games are going to be played in Florida, and we're hoping that they will pick the season up when that's over. All right. Well, we ha- we still have a few weeks until we actually see the soccer, but you have your own show. So where can people hear you? Uh, they can catch me on Sirius XM 157, Sirius XM FC 157. We're on from 9 o'clock uh, to noontime. Myself and a fellow called Rodney Marsh, who was a very, very famous English player, and uh, he was a very great player over the years. He captained Manchester City for several years, and he came out here to play with the Tampa Bay Rowdies and never went back. I mean, I'm not sure that we'd let him into the country again, but he didn't go back anyhow. <laughs> Well, we we definitely encourage people to listen to that. And, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter yesterday and I see you with a bunch of my favorite public address announcers, Matt Cord, Lou Nolan, Kevin Casey, talking about, you know, what you're doing now. How did that come about before we let you go? <laughs> I tell you, that was Kevin Casey's brainwave. And he just called me and asked me what I do. It. And if you look at it really closely, look at it really closely. And this was purely accidental. You know, I talked about two birds. And yet and all, when you look at me, uh, my wife, Tressa, taped it, and she was the one on the, on the camera. And when you look at down beside on my left-hand side, you see a, a red robin, a big one, you know, one of those big birds that they have in the garden. And you also see uh, another blue bird in there as well. So there's two birds, actually, and <laughs> if you planned it, it wouldn't have worked as well. But I can tell you one thing, it was purely accidental, and Kevin is just such a great guy. And like a lot of other people, he just has nothing to do during this weather. Himself and JP Delacamera, I was trying to put the three of them together and let them go paint houses or something, but there wasn't up for that, mind you. There wasn't up for that much work. Well, we can't wait to keep hearing all your voices back doing what you do best, calling the games, wish you continued health, and look forward to hearing your voice on TV soon. And thanks so much for always giving us a few minutes. Oh, no problem. You take care of yourselves. And the one thing is, guys, in this, uh, this very troubled time, just to all your fans out there and to yourselves, please, please stay safe. Stay apart and we'll be together again soon. All right. Thanks, Tommy. You have a great one. We appreciate the time. Take care. Jeff, it's it's always fun to to hear from Tommy and, and get his take of what's going on. Um, for all the certainty there is, you hear him mention the uncertainty of what happens after the tournament ends. Right, yeah. Um, but it, it is a little exciting to actually have a sport coming back. And I, I think I told you on our midweek OTA broadcast that we do now that you can find on our social accounts. You can see video of our faces as we yell at each other back and forth or look at each other and make hand <laughs> gestures. Uh, yeah, if you turn the sound down, the hand gestures are really funny from all of us. But we were talking about, I think soccer has very big opportunity here. They will have the month of July to themselves as the only sport in this country that is playing games. You know, NASCAR will race, there will be golf. Right. But they will have games on TV on the every game. Sport. Every game will be broadcast on television, and mm-hmm. there will be no other team sports to watch on TV unless they're watching the Korean baseball organization. Where, so it's a huge where are they opportunity. Show all of these? Are these all uh, ESPN, 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 Fox, and I think uh, ESPN Deportes. Okay. So there'll be three channels that air all of these games. No in games on the other understanding. 
Uh, that's not my understanding. I don't believe they're bringing the Ocho back for that. But I, I think it's a huge chance for them to try and capture more of an audience who may not have been inclined to give soccer a chance before. But just out of the sheer fact that there is nothing else on TV for them now, they may give it a chance and watch. Can soccer pull in some new fans? Well, they would pull in new fans, too, because there's new teams, right? So how many new teams are there this year? Is it Miami? Is this Nashville's first year? I think so. Because so, the, so, the union have never played Nashville before, and they and Miami's new. They've only, the only right. team they'll play that they've played before is NYCFC in their draw so far. Yeah, so there's new fans by that. I don't know where was where was Miami going to play? Do they actually have a stadium now? Did they ever build it? I don't there know. Was but the if whole, there's any franchise that's equipped to not to play with no fans, it's a Miami franchise. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> get, 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 well, the one thing we can guarantee is that when it is safe to go back to stadiums, that they will immediately outdraw the Marlins. <laughs> I mean, the, the Marlins, if if there's any team in any sport that should be most prepared to, to be able to capture what it's like to not play in front of fans. There are two teams, the Marlins and the Chargers, right? Absolutely. They're those, complete. Those, well, I think one of the players made that comment. Like, I know what it's like to play with Melvin fans. Gordon, for the, who was with the Chargers until this year, is now going to be with the Broncos, said that I'm used I'm used to it. Last year, we had no fans. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, while we're on – Because it, it was fans from the other team that would take over the stadium. I want to go back to baseball for a second where we were before we are oh, joined to talk. Are more breaking news about them not going anywhere? No, I wanted to talk about the Phillies draft a little. Uh, you wanted a shortstop. They ended up getting your shortstop in the third round. The third, and, it, and it looks like, I'm not sure why he dropped that far. He, he was, was somebody. He was ranked to be in the between 30s. like 35 and 40. Yeah. And, and he was taking and, 87, I think. Casey Martin, yeah. I think. Is, and, it, and it looks like he could be a good pick. Uh, it's, it sounds is, like it sounds like he's got, you know, it's boomer bust with his power from the the scouting oh, okay. reports on him. It's it's like that with a lot of things. It's boomer bust for Mick Abel, who's their first round pick too. I mean, my concern is is they were the first team and they, they picked 15 to take a high school pitcher. And a high school pitcher who people hadn't seen a lot of. Now, I've talked to some people and heard from pe- some people out from Oregon who say this kid could be the real deal. Um, he throws really hard for his age. He's tall. He's going to grow into his body. Um, you know, you hope he doesn't have arm issues, but it seems like everybody has arm issues at some point. Well, the My guy only... they took later already had Tommy John surgery. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's getting it out of the way is kind of it's kind of like a bonus. You know, they say <laughs> that you're, you're supposed to be stronger. Now, I, I don't agree with it because I've you know you hear about parents that have pushed their kids to have Tommy John surgery younger. And to just kind of get it over with kind of thing. And I don't know if that's a – I've always thought that's not a good way to handle it. Having any kid have surgery is a bad idea. But what worries me is not even Mick Abel. It's the patience of fans. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot. Wait, on, what? Patience? Fans? Yeah, I mean, we've we've no. talked about certain former first-round picks of the Phillies. But I, I dread the people who have, who have already said, oh, no, this is Jesse Biddle all over again. And No, it's not. It's just because they take a high school kid does not mean he can be equated with anybody else who didn't work out or did work out. To judge this guy on his own talent and be patient. He's a high school graduate. Okay? It sounds He's like he has to make the majors for the next couple of years. 
it sounds like he has three pitches so far out of the same arm slot. I was listening to his coach from Oregon talk a little Which bit. Which is a great uh, thing. Yeah, because the deceptiveness. He's got the fastball, a split finger fastball, and then I think it was a curveball sort of out of the same arm socket. I may, I may be wrong with the curveball. Well, he, here's up, the thing. He's working on a fourth pitch as well. The, the two people that he has been most compared to in the scouting reports Justin are Justin Verlander and Rick Porcello. Now, okay, Rick Porcello's had a couple of good years. Uh, please turn out more like Justin Verlander than Rick Porcello. <laughs> <laughs> what, were that, your overall, that is my what were your overall thoughts? Because you are a person that follows the minors, and you did follow who you wanted them to take. Are you satisfied with how it worked out? They seem to get two mashers, um, at, at one of them at shortstop, and then two pitchers, very tall pitcher at 6'8", the second one they took. Here's the deal. I I know nothing about any of these guys other than what I've read. I have not seen any of them actually play. So I if don't we know. could just um, Mike Vito back at the studio, if we could clip Jeff saying I know nothing, I'd like to use that later. Go ahead. No, Jeff, that is taken completely out of context. <laughs> That's what I do, man. Go back uh, to what were you saying. <laughs> no, I, I I just all I know is what they've been saying about these guys, and it looks like from what we're hearing, they had a good draft. The problem is the draft was was only a few rounds. So and what so, happens to all these players? They're now? all free agents. They're all free agents, and they all could be lowballed, and, and that's the shame of it. Is that the minor league play? The minor league players are now being taken advantage of again, and it creates just a mess at a time that they didn't need more of a mess. I mean, scouts aren't what they used to be. Now it's it's so much more analytics than than you know old fashioned scouting. How do you go around and scout all of these kids, especially during this? you know, what's everything that's been going on. These kids have all lost their senior year in high school or whatever year they had in college. You don't know. And, and progression from year to year matters. So a lot of this is just really a crapshoot. Well, why don't we leave it there and let's keep talking baseball, but let's talk some home runs and, and bring on our next guest to talk about it. Let's go to that conversation right now. We are thrilled to be joined by A.J. Schnock, director of the 30 for 30 Long Gone Summer that you can catch premiere on ESPN this Sunday night, June 14th at 9 p.m. Then it's available immediately after on ESPN Plus, along with the rest of the 30 for 30 documentary library. A.J., how are you doing today, ma'am? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm excited to talk about this home run derby, basically, that we saw in the summer of 1998. Uh, Jeff and I had talked about how this was my formidable memory time. Uh, you're, you're a guy that's taken on a lot of different subjects in your career as a director. What, what sort of piqued your interest and led you to take on uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa this time? Well, in part because uh, I grew up uh, in Edwardsville, Illinois, just outside St. Louis, a uh, group Cardinal fan. Um, and then, you know, had a bunch of uh, relatives up in the Chicago area. So that Chicago-St. Uh, Louis rivalry has always, you know, been a formidable part of, of my youth. Um, when I uh, got to, uh, to my adulthood and living in Los Angeles, uh, you know, this 98 season really brought me back to uh, all the things I loved about baseball as a kid, you know, how I felt about the Cardinals, how I felt about the rivalry. Um, and, and there was something in, in the moment that just felt really magical. Um, so, you know, when ESPN and I started talking about projects, uh, the idea of trying to, to tackle this subject was, was something I was really excited about. 
One of the things that we find interesting from looking at these documentaries that have been airing on ESPN over the last couple of months is the interviews with the subjects and seeing how what their how their perspective has changed, if it has, or whether they're not even remorseful for what they've done. Uh, what was your experience like um, being part of those interviews, and, and what what impression did you walk away with? Well, you know, it's just first of all knowing that they hadn't uh, neither Maguire or Sosa had uh, had done lengthy interviews uh, about that time period um, in in a long time. Um, so, you know, getting them both to sit down uh, on two occasions for more than two and a half hours each time. Uh, to really dig into what happened that season, you know, their careers before uh, that season happened, and also to to talk about what we know now about that era. Um, I was, you know, I was really, you know, happy that they wanted to to trust me to to tell that story and to sit down and and talk about things in a way that I thought was uh, forthcoming um, and hadn't seen before. They were telling me stories that that I hadn't seen in in other. Uh, reports or other interviews. So it really felt like we were hearing a, a lot about that season for the first time. When we look at that season, there was a feeling among some people that baseball needed that chase and it helped save the sport. And, you know, if you look at the statistics, the ratings were up. Some of ESPN and Fox's biggest ratings, attendance at road games, attendance at home games was up. Can you talk about the short-term implication that was there on baseball from everything from Chicks Dig the Long Ball to the long-term implication of the legacy of what happened here? Yeah, I mean, to me, it goes even beyond the things that we can sort of measure um, numbers-wise. It's, it's almost the fact that people felt good about baseball as the national pastime again after uh, a strike had really, you know, just embittered a, a lot of people around the country. Um, and, and I think that it's, you know, even beyond like watching the games and, and you know, showing up for, for when the Cardinals and Cubs would come to town, um, there was just a sense that the game was exciting and that it was back and that it was it was the thing, you know, the baseball, apple pie, Americana um, kind of ideals. Uh, so, yeah, I think in, in that moment, you certainly felt like, wow, we're seeing something kind of magical and, and everybody involved uh, seems to be, you know, just a good person and, and look how they are interacting with each other. Look how they're interacting with the Maris family. They're respecting the history. Um, so there was a lot in that moment that I think just felt really, you know, magical to the people who were watching. Um, now, a lot of people look at that not as magical, but a magic trick um, because it took place during uh, the steroid era. Um, and, and that's, you know, I think one of the ways that we wanted to kind of deal with you know, our feelings about it now um, and what we know is, is to first just remind you of what it felt like in the time um, without the, the uh, you know, 2020 hindsight uh, that we have, um, put, your, put you back in that moment. Uh, and then we can try to unpack, you know, uh, in, in the last uh, act of the film, we can try to unpack, you know, some of the things that we've learned since and, and what that may mean, not just for that season and for that sport, but, you know, for our own memories of it. Looking at, at everything that you compiled and all the people that you spoke with, what was the most surprising thing that you took away from this film? I was just surprised to the things that I didn't uh, quite remember, um, you know, and, and some of that was, uh, I think, in my head, 
uh, I believed that that Mark uh, had been, you know, always a few home runs up on on Sammy until the final weekend. Um, I had just forgotten how tight uh, the the contest was in in August, uh, and that Sosa had had passed McGuire on August 19th in Wrigley Field. Uh, that was something that. Not only I didn't remember it, but I showed the film to Mark and he told me that he didn't remember that. Um, so I think, you know, part of it is, is just, just sort of revisiting the actual things that were happening on the ground on a day to day basis. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the fact that, uh, you know, hearing from both of them, um, telling some stories that we, we haven't heard before. Um, Tony LaRusa tells a story about the, the final weekend uh, of uh, you know, the, that season that uh, no one has heard before. Um, those are those are the kinds of things I think that add a little bit more detail to, to the season that we weren't previously aware of. In one of the previews, I saw you have the players talking about the pressure that they faced and sort of look at how they handled that differently. I hadn't really heard that conversation much, but I did see it look back at Mark McGuire's comment uh, being taken about feeling like a caged animal. Can you talk a little bit about the different personalities of the players and how that reflected in what you saw? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people we talked to who were reporters that covered uh, the Cardinals uh, that season, you know, they they recognized that McGuire could get pretty short with them, uh, especially as the season went on and they're asking kind of the same types of questions. Like, you know, um, Mark really felt that he was getting too much of, of the focus. He wanted it to be spread out to other teammates. He'd really get angry uh, when he didn't hit a home run and, and maybe Brian Jordan had had a great night or Ray Langford had had a great night. Um, and that no one was going up to them in the locker room to ask them about their performance. They just wanted to know why you didn't hit a home run. Um, and, and, the, and the fact that, you know, I hope we show in the film, you know, that the focus on, on this being the season that the record could be broken, that was there from, from spring training. It was a constant uh, expectation. Uh, whereas for Sammy, you know, no one expected anything uh, out of Sammy Sosa at the beginning of the season. The Cubs had had such a you know, miserable start to, to 97. All eyes were on Kerry Wood and the hope that this phenomenal rookie pitcher would uh, would do something great, which he did. Um, but, you know, Sammy, Sammy never really felt the pressure uh, that Mark felt. And, you know, he he acknowledges that in the film, that, that he was able to to get through the season without all, the same kind of expectations. Did you get the impression that they're able to look back at this and, and somehow enjoy that season now at all? Or do you think that they still feel the weight of what happened afterwards? I think they both uh, look back uh, fondly at that season. In terms of talking to them, you know, I think they view it as still a, an incredible uh, achievement that, that they lived through and that they did. Um, so I think, you know, uh, I, I don't think that they have that same uh conflict that a lot of people who viewed it do i think for them it's it's still a magical season and they remember all of the moments and you know certainly mark has said that he believes uh you know in terms of his ability to hit a home run that he would have broken the record no matter what um so i think uh i think for them it still is uh full of the greatness that it felt like at the time do you come away looking that they're able to look back at what happened and recognize the controversy or do they focus on 
what it meant to them? I think they focus on what it meant to them. Um, I do, you know, I, I think there's regret, certainly from from Mark, you know, that he knows that it's for some people they can't get past um, the fact that he was using steroids during that season. Um, and, you know, for, for Sammy, you know, who has, you know, the evidence against Sammy is, is only this one uh, anonymous survey report that was, uh, you know, reported on by the New York Times. I think, you know, he feels he's stated uh, in front of Congress that he never used uh, performance enhancing drugs and uh, find the constant, uh, you know, belief that he's lying about it uh, to be uh, offensive. He, he, I think he would like uh, um, some level of respect that he doesn't feel he has, has received. And, and in part, I think that's because of his estrangement from the Cubs organization. Well, we definitely look forward to seeing how it all comes out. Uh, AJ Schnock, director of the 30 for 30 Long Gone Summer, that everybody can catch premiering on ESPN this Sunday night, June 14th at 9 p.m. AJ, thanks so much for the time, and we look forward to capturing your work. Uh, thank you so much. Great to be with you guys. Great to be with you. You have a great one. Me too. Jeff, we, you and I both talked about how we were the exact fan that ran to the TV every time they cut in to those home runs. Uh, I'm very excited to see how this is portrayed on Sunday and how it is looked back on 22 years later, basically, in through the eyes of what we know about steroids now, because we've talked about it. Andrew was out in McGuire's locker during mm-hmm. this. It right. was legal. However, it was on the banned substances for the International Olympic Committee. So there's that kind of gray area and we know baseball's history with steroids, but uh, I believe that baseball did think they needed this to save it. They clearly capitalized on it. And I'm fascinated to see how it's portrayed on Sunday. You know what my fascination is. My fascination, just like you want to see if they have any remorse and they don't. I I just don't understand why it is so hard to admit you either did something wrong or could have done something differently. Yeah, I mean, we had a segment at the end of the show each week for a while of things I screwed up. Like, you could admit you're wrong. It's okay and survive and come back from it. It's okay. It it doesn't make sense. I mean, Sammy Sosa, to me, has been – I mean, Mark McGuire's one thing, but somehow Mark McGuire's made his way back into baseball. He's been a hitting instructor for the Cardinals. I don't know. Is he still there? I don't, I'm not sure if that's where he still is. But, but Sammy Sosa, to me, I've seen other interviews with him, and he just seems incapable of acknowledging he did anything wrong, including when lots of bits of rubber balls came flying out of his bat onto the field in the middle of a game. And saying that was my that was my practice bat so people could see hit the ball more farther. I just I don't understand why they just can't accept the fact that maybe it's better to look back in hindsight and say, you know what, I'm proud of what I did, but I wish I had done something differently. All right. Um, Well, why don't we leave it there? We'll both watch it Sunday night. We'll talk about it on our midweek OTA next week. Have plenty to say about it. Be ready to talk some basketball. Uh, always ready to talk some basketball. Go for it. All right. So, your own. Do we have your own rights been on? You do. Hey. So first, I got to ask you a question before we get to the real basketball. 
Uh, I sure. think today you may have shared too much on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> okay. One of the last tweets I, I read was that you haven't worn a real pair of pants since March 17th. Is, is that is that I don't know you guys I guess you guys are you doing the are you doing the show in a station or are you guys doing the <laughs> no not at all just hiding out in his house with a t-shirt on and I could see him on camera he's not really dressed up either so don't worry about it <laughs> yeah I I so the last time I did it is I did my book came out March seventeenth I had to go into a radio show to do a little pro, promo I put on a real pair of pants that day and I have uh, since then it's been the uh, athleisure or you know or less. Um, yeah, I don't uh, know why. Why go with pants? The, the funniest thing is though, I made a. Uh, I had lost a little weight before, which is done now, and I had bought some new jeans, probably around like let's say March 10th, and talk about a waste of money, right? So. <laughs> well, hopefully the NBA. Hopefully the NBA tries to get back to things here. They're they're trying on it, but it sounds like there's a little bit of pushback from the players. Some reporting about safeguards and rules being discussed. Where do things stand right now? So this is how I always explain this, and it's funny that the NBA kind of got a pass like this, and I, there's a bigger conversation to be had here about how we just kind of soak up everything the NBA pushes out often, right? But, like, all we have to do is look at Major League Baseball to see that announcing you want games to come back and then actually putting down the rules and regulations and negotiations and dealing with all that goes into bringing back those games are two very separate and different things, right? So everybody wants the games brought back. That's great. Yeah, we all want games to come back. But when you start finding out, here's what we're going to need and here's how that's going to happen, all of a sudden, everyone who's in agreement on something is, uh, you know, it's it's hard to find a consensus on those things. And I think that's what we're seeing now. The weird part is, though, is we're kind of going backwards here, is where Adam Silver and the league announced games are coming back and a small a small group from the union, um, the leadership, right? Or I guess it was the team leaders all agreed to the proposal. But it doesn't seem like things were really, like, organized before really decided so we had last week adam silver talking about how well maybe some older coaches will have to stay home and the coach would say wait no one told us that right the coaches association says that or now you hear some players saying wait you mean we can't leave at all i don't want to be down with that or then you're hearing you know there was a report from tom haberstro and cbs at uh, nbc sports and he had a whole story and one of the things he was told was that or disney told him that they're employees would be able to go in and out of the bubble. And then some people are saying, wait a second, so then it's not a bubble. So there's a lot of weird stuff going on. I think that's exactly what we're seeing play out now is that it's hard to get a consensus. And these are complicated and difficult issues to negotiate and discuss. Not only are they going to have basketball down there, but they're going to have soccer down there too. How are they going to keep all of these people in this wide world of sports complex and not let them out of the bubble? Uh, I mean, I guess, how are they going to do? I mean, I guess the rules, right? Like it's, I'm assuming this might be a collective bargaining thing, but I'm assuming if you collectively bargain this and you follow the rule, like and if you're found in violation, there could be some sort of issue in terms of pay, right? That's what I'm guessing. Um, the other thing is, I mean, someone, have other people have talked about this, right? Like, you know, no one's going to get upset at LeBron, but like if you're LeBron and uh, you're the Lakers and you found that, find out LeBron and like, you know, has to quarantine for two weeks because like Alex Caruso went out one day, like is Alex Caruso going to be welcome back into his locker room? Right. I don't know. Um, so there's that part of the peer pressure, but no, it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. And I think, so like the league is going to push the idea that, you know, it's, let's say 10 weeks or whatever it is, but really that's only for the few teams, like the four teams who are going to go deep in the conference final. Everyone else, you know, half the other group will be home before that, but no, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating. You mentioned the decision being made between Adam Silver and some of the player leadership. 
Uh, I saw something about Kyrie Irving trying to organize a call of 200 people yeah. that they're upset they didn't get a vote. They're upset about the optics of what it looks like for them going back. Uh, where do you think that stands with the players and what are you hearing there? Um, there's a lot to unpack there, right? I think then what we're seeing is that the players are not one unanimous voice, right? So some players are worried that the bubble is not actually a bubble because, you know, Disney workers are going in and out. Some players are worried that, wait a second, I don't want to sign up to be in a bubble like this where I can't leave, but, you know, that's the other extreme, right? Um, so there's the legitimate, well, I guess some people are saying there's more important things going on in the country now. Um, why, how can we focus on basketball? Some want to use this as an ability to protest, like, you know, okay, let's, um, let's use our power here. We're the you know, majority black league. It's, um, I forget the actual numbers, but I don't think there's an organization that's as profile and as black as the NBA, right? Let's use our power and position to do something. Let's put a little pressure on the owners. Um, so there's all these different factions coming about, but I, all I would do is I would point your, um, for an example, I would point your, your, your listeners to, there's a Twitter thread today, JJ Reddick, um, Joe Inglis and Joe uh, uh, Clarkson, excuse me, um, who uh, were talking about how they're kind of finding out the rules at the same time as us, right? And that's weird. And it's clearly there's been a, the communication has not exactly been going from top down. And I think we'll have to see how this plays out. Do you think that we're going to start when they say we're going to start? Or do you think that this is going to be pushed back? Um, I don't know how much pushing back. It was funny. I joked to a friend. So like, I, I'll answer this two ways, but I, I think we'll still be okay. But the odds that you would give me, like the odds that I would get if I could bet on this not happening, right? Meaning like they'd, they'd be pretty decent. Like I might take that bet if those two things make sense, right? So I assume that I still think we'll be good, but I'm also kind of curious where this goes from here. And again, all you have to do, I think, is look at Major League Baseball to see how complicated and messy things can get. Um, I would be, the counter to that is that the um, ownership and the, the relationship between ownership and the league and the union in NBA is very different than in baseball. But we're going we're gonna to see now that some guys are not so keen on the idea of four players speaking for them. You mentioned the idea of some people wanting to use it as an opportunity to protest. We've, we've seen players out there using their platforms with their responses. Any thoughts on what you've seen with the athletes and what they've said and done and how you think they might try and carry those statements over to what we're going to see in Orlando? Um, I mean, I think it's been really impressive, right? I like the, like LeBron thing is, you know, the example of voting rights. If people don't know, he put together a nonprofit that's going to, I'm going to botch some of the language, but I think it's going to educate and help, um, help people, I get black community, African-American community, um, people are often disenfranchised to get out of vote, right? And get them out and to vote, which is a huge thing. And that's a great example of, you know, saying one thing, but actually getting out and making a difference. You have examples like that. You have Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon. These guys were literally leading marches and speaking eloquently and effectively about the systematic issues. Um, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's been probably for me to say it's impressive, right? That's the wrong word, but I think it's been nice to see. And I always, I'm always happy to see, I don't know, there's been a breakthrough here and it's been nice to see the NBA at sort of the forefront of that, I guess is how I would say it. That. One of the things people have been confused about is, is how they're going to handle these rosters. What's, what's the latest on how they're going to handle rosters? For example, for us, for the Sixers, there's been rumors that if the Sixers want to, they can bring back somebody like Trey Burke, but they can't sign somebody like Jamal Crawford. I believe the latest without the Crawford type. I, to be honest, I, it's been hard to keep up on this stuff, right? Um, I believe the latest was that Crawford types could sign. I believe that's the latest. The other thing that I'll laugh at and why I say it's been hard to keep up on this stuff is it does seem these, some of these um, 
leaks about this stuff. It seems like they're sort of targeted. So you'll see a report about some players are not so happy, and then suddenly you'll see a report come out. Hey, guys, Jamal Crawford's available to sort of maybe distract. I don't know. Um, so I, I found that fun, that funny. Um, I do think you'll see the latest is I believe you'll see um, kind of the pool be opened up in terms of who teams can sign and the ability to add two-way guys to their roster and kind of expand a little bit. I was going to say, do you think we're going to see some two-way players and G League guys for the Sixers, maybe Mariel Shayok, uh, on these rosters? They're going to obviously have to have more players in case anybody gets sick and be prepared, right? Yeah, I guess they could. I mean, it's funny. So, like, we always do this. Like, we focus so much on this stuff. At the end, it doesn't matter, right? Like, does, is Mariel Shayok going to make a difference? Maybe. Um, the Sixers are funny because sure. they are um, – I'll say they're deep. Deep's the wrong word. They have a lot of guys, right? After, you know, Furcon and Shake Dalton found some um, consistency late in the uh, in the season or whatever before the shutdown. Um, the Sixers are going to go about 9, 10 deep already without adding other guys. We include Glenn Robinson, Alec Burke, Kybel, uh, Milton, um, guys like that, Mike Scott. So I don't know if depth is going to be an issue. When I say depth, I mean like the numbers of guys. Like bringing a, there's not, bring, a G League guy is not going to make a difference for them. Their bigger issue might be like in the six man type category. Absolutely. Well, Iram, we always appreciate you hopping on, giving us a few minutes. Uh, hope you still stay safe and uh, you have some basketball to cover soon and look forward to following you. Where can people follow you, Rafes? Yeah, check out on Bleach Report all my stuff um, on Twitter. And if you're still, if you haven't bought the book yet, you're interested in reading about the Sixers, Tanking to the Top is uh, the story of the process. It's still available wherever books are sold. And you can hear our interview with your own. We'll put that back out again from when the book came out. Oh, yeah. uh, wish you the best of luck with that. And thank you again for the time, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Always happy to come on. Take care of yourself. Jeff, do you have um, hope now or less hope? It, it, I'm, no, I'm surprised. I have hope that, they're doing it, but I, but I don't understand the lack of communication. It how is it that like you get to this point? So how is it that you get to this point and realize that you haven't consulted with the majority of your players so, about so, their concerns? But that's that's why the the reason they probably got to this point is because is because they, they haven't consult with everybody. The easiest thing to do would be to talk to LeBron and a small group of players and get them all to agree to something and then and then let it trickle down. The problem is this is this is way too sensitive a subject to not be consulting people with. You don't want to have people like J.J. Reddick who are saying I'm finding out news on what I'm supposed to do the same time as the fans are. It's not that difficult. We, We all have Zoom. We all have the ability that we can get, they certainly do, that they can have as many people as they want on that screen with all their little faces in a box so that everybody can at least talk about this. They should be breaking it down by team and just having whoever their union rep is talk to the players. It shouldn't be that a single player is finding out through social media. It just, that just can't, because that, that does not allow for trust. And whatever else comes out of all of this, the players and the owners, especially the players, have got to trust the owners and trust their own union leadership that they are going to be, if they're going to put their, their the safety of not only themselves, but their families and their friends in somebody's hands, they have to know that they're going to get this information and they're going to get it real time. They're not going to get it by, oh, by the way, because the last, can you imagine what happens if the NBA or one of the teams doesn't tell a player that somebody tested positive and wait. Well, they're going to, they're not going to be able to tell them which player it was because of medical. I mean, they'll see the person not no, there, they, but, no, but they they'll, 
But, oh, no. uh, so were you surprised, Yaron said, that the coaches association didn't know about the older coaches may not be able to coach stuff? No, I, I'd heard that before, and it, it seemed baffling to me, but it makes total sense. I mean, look, one of the highest risk categories for this particular disease, this virus, is older individuals. So the older coaches in the league are obviously at a higher risk. I mean, luckily, there are a bunch of coaches that are younger, but what do you do for the older coaches? Basketball is not something that you can kind of sit in a press box and coach. You need to be down there talking to the players. You see how often they're walking around and talking in game to these guys. How do you do that? That's sort of the point that uh, I hate to switch you know, sports, but John Harbaugh is making that point with the guidelines the NFL has. He, he thinks that they need to revise it. He thinks that what they're asking him to do is humanly impossible. You know, they're going to he's like, we're going to get in a huddle. We're not going to be six feet apart in a huddle like you have to be able to communicate. And that's going to be the challenge. That's a a whole new formation for the offensive line. huh? That's going to be a whole new challenge for these coaches and these athletes. They are used to playing ball the same way they have for all these years. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be different. Are you getting excited? Because I know how excited you got over the summer when we saw the, the videos of Ben Simmons shooting. Yeah. Are you getting excited that we're seeing pictures of Ben Simmons that jacked he look, down? That he, look, that he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> playing basketball now? Are Are you excited by this? No, I know that I you, you hang on every... Look, here's the deal. Ben Simmons getting stronger. Were you ever concerned that Ben Simmons wasn't strong enough? No. That, that was, was not, not my his problem. concern. The, the problem with Ben Simmons was whether he can shoot. So whether whether he adds pounds of muscle doesn't matter. If no. anybody in the NBA is going to be excited about anybody's weight or, or physique, it's the Denver Nuggets. Because I don't know if you're seeing Nikola Jokic uh, has gone. Lost a from, ton of weight. Yeah, he's gone from looking like the Stay Puft Mar- Marshmallow guy to a, an NBA guy, which, uh, you know, he was a great player without being in shape. What is he going to be like when he's in shape? Now, uh, for us, I'm not somebody that comments on somebody's appearances <laughs> for, for us, though. Yes, you will, because you commented on on our center. So the question is, is our center going to be in shape? Yeah, it's not that he doesn't it, that is look out of shape, but question he, the health of Ben and Joel, which is the same question that we always have with the Sixers. I did want to go before so we have weather. under five minutes left and we don't talk NASCAR a lot, but we've talked a lot about <laughs> race and social justice. And um, there was a lot of stuff going on in NASCAR this week. You saw Bubba Wallace race in a car that was painted for Black Lives Matter. His shirt uh-huh. said, I can't breathe. NASCAR banned the use of the Confederate flag um, and people bringing it to events. Uh, your thoughts on the decision by NASCAR, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the responses we've seen from people. I think NASCAR is trying to find a way to be responsive and respectful. Uh, I think that the thing, look, we don't want to get into all debate of the Confederate flag and stuff, but the question is, is sports is sports is inclusive, if nothing else, right? And, and, and NASCAR has at least appeared not to be inclusive at times. And, and one of the reasons from people who don't feel like they're included that they've cited is is not wanting to have that flag waved in their face when they go to the event. I don't see what the harm is in not having this. Does anybody really need to bring a flag to an event? Does that really increase your, your, your experience by bringing it? I mean, I, I don't understand. And, and then there's a, there's a, a NASCAR truck driver Who's, who says that he's going to quit the sport. He's going to give up his profession because somebody can't bring a flag in. 
what's the point? I were you surprised that they did it? I, I was surprised because there has been a push before to ban that in this sport. And as yeah, they this did, is, their... this is different. Let's all acknowledge that in, in our lifetimes, this this is a moment that I don't think any of us have experienced before. At least the level and the number of people be, and the diversity of people that are involved. Well, did you see what the Red Sox put out about their stadium and the abuse that players have had? I mean, you're you're well, seeing been, it move it's been historic from, that 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 stadium and that city. But the uh, acknowledgement have had issues, and athletes have said that for decades. Exactly, but the acknowledgement from the team, the depth that they went uh, to to do that and say that surprised me. That's not a corporate team statement like you normally see that we're putting out something to make sure that we've said something in the conversation. That is not what you saw in that statement from the Red Sox. This, this is a moment. It's a unique moment in time that, that people cannot do what they did before. They need to make these kind of statements now. Uh, this is not something that people look, can wait on. You saw this this conversation is not going away. You're going to see football players taking a knee. You saw you're going to uh, see US, it in the NBA. The, 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 the NBA is going to take advantage of this opportunity to to share this message. You know, and I think they're going to do it. I think the players are going to do it in a positive way. And they have a chance. We talk about athletes and platforms all the time. And here's a platform. It's going to be on yeah, the I mean, look, stage. We, we talked to Tommy Smith to start the show, and you go back, the U.S. Soccer Federation Board of Directors voted to repeal its policy requiring players to stand for the national anthem. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're starting to see this in leagues. Now, again, we'll see the response from different fans. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think people are missing the point when they make it about that, but that's just my opinion. What do I have to say? Mm -hmm. um, any other thoughts on what we've seen from – the teams, the players this week to continue the conversation going. We saw uh, players out there protesting again this week. We saw Elton Brand out there. We saw Aaron McKee out there, coaches, general managers in Philly, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, Matisse Thybul, um, you know, any anything more of what you're seeing out there right now? You just took a lot of time answering your own question. No, well, that's I'm good at answering, asking questions that I want to answer myself. I, I look, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think that that the players and teams are using this as an opportunity to have a conversation and to affect change. And I think they're doing I'm, a great job with it. I'm going to take that. I wholeheartedly agree with you and cut that up too for next time. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye bye.